Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today in Revelation chapter 20, we're right back at it. As Revelation likes to repeat itself, we have another repetition of that great battle at the end. Just as we saw a few chapters ago with the mention of Armageddon. Is that chapter 16 or 17? I'm blanking. And as we saw yesterday in the, the great battle in chapter 19, verse 19, we have it again today. And once again, Christ is victorious in a battle that almost sounds like it never even takes place. Join me in reading the text. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released, for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Only over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Our focus point on this chapter is the same as it was yesterday. Christ is victorious. The battle against sin, death, and the devil has already been won for you. That's the point again of the book of Revelation, to be an encouragement to you, to know that your name is written in the book of life, that Christ has already saved you, and that you get to spend forever with him in his paradise. That is an encouraging thing indeed, even as we see it feels like the world around us may be falling apart as we suffer, whether it's a small amount of suffering or a great amount of suffering. We'll see some of that in the text as well. There are some challenges in this chapter, without a doubt, and 
don't need to look any further than the thousand years. All right. So let's just, let's not pretend it's not there. But this is one of the things that has caused so much diversity of teaching and thought on the book of Revelation. And you have essentially three positions, although there are more. Um, the positions, especially premillennialism, has positions within that camp. Um, so premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. So this podcast, this episode today, is going to come at it from the perspective of amillennialism. Um, A is the Greek letter alpha um, that is put in front of a word to negate it, like we in English would do with the letters UN or NON. Um, we stick those things in front of something to show that it, it isn't that. So instead of being violent, it's nonviolent. It doesn't do that thing. So A has been stuck in front of millennium to negate it. The Lutheran position on this thousand-year reign of Christ is that like so much of what we see in the book of Revelation, it is not a literal thousand-year period of time, but it is the time, the complete time, that's that thousand, ten times ten times ten, perfect uh, completion kind of idea. It is the complete time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. And so the church, we the church, are living in this thousand-year reign of Christ even now, even as you listen to this podcast. You are a part of this. You are reigning with Christ already in this world through his word and through his sacrament, the opportunity to share those things with your neighbor. Now, premillennialism and postmillennialism, pre means before, post means after, are references to the idea of when Christ returns. So in postmillennialism, you often had the picture, this idea that the church needs to Christianize the whole world, essentially. We need to be good enough. By, by making the world a better place, eventually we are ushering back in the reign of Christ. There must be this golden age of a thousand years, and at the end of that thousand years, Christ will return. Premillennialism, on the other hand, describes Christ coming before. So Christ comes to the earth, he raptures his saints, that's the idea that he takes the Christians away from this world, and then after that, there is this, this period, it depends on the branch of premillennialism, this gets rather messy rather quick. Um, some premillennialists end up holding Christ's returns three or four times even. So he comes at the rapture, he comes again at the end of like a, a, a period of tribulation, and then he comes again for a, a time of, of his reign on creation, and then he comes again even at the end of that to, to usher in the last day. We could spend all, you know hours talking about this topic. So again, I'm, I'm going to take this podcast from the Lutheran perspective, and as we go through it, I'll give you some kind of ideas of why that is. Uh, we believe that we're in this reign of Christ, this thousand-year period, even now. All right, so let's begin. Um, we've got the key in verse 1, an angel holding the key to the bottomless pit. Um, so that's another reference that would seem to hell, the idea that that God has the authority over that part even of his creation and takes the dragon and binds him for a thousand years. So a thousand years, that that time that we are in now, a 
represents a complete period of God. Um, and again, from, from ascension until second coming of Christ. It is a period of, of rest where the suffering creation still suffers, but they get to hear the gospel. Because the church is reigning right now, the world gets to hear the good news. The devil is bound. He cannot oppress that. He cannot stop the church from doing what the church has been given to do. We're going to see that in the next verse as well. Uh, a parallel text that you might want to look at here as a family would be go, go back to the Gospels. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this. But for simplicity's sake, Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus tells his disciples in the crowd about the strong man. How he must be bound. If you're going to rob the strong man, you must first bind the strong man. And then you can freely plunder his house. And this is in response to the Pharisees having accused Jesus of casting out demons because Jesus is a demon or he's in league with the demons or whatever it may have been. He's with Beelzebul, and so that's how he does it. And Jesus says, no, if I'm going to plunder his house, if I'm going to take people away from the devil's grasp, I have to bind him first. I have, you know, I have to... I have to show my power over him before I can do that. And once I've done it, then I'm free to take them out. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So the binding of the devil, when the devil's power is taken away from him, occurs on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That's when the devil is bound. His power is stripped. Satan means accuser. His, his power over you is his ability to accuse you before the Lord of your sins. He would come into the Lord's courtroom. He would, he would cast doubt on your faith. He would, he would blame you for all the things that you've done wrong in your life and said wrong and thought wrong. And, and he was right. But on the cross, Christ took away every one of those sins. You are forgiven. You have perfect forgiveness in Jesus. Your sins are gone. As we mentioned just a day or two ago with Jeremiah 31, they are remembered no more. You are free in Christ. And because of this, the devil's accusations are now false. He does not stand rightly before the Lord, and the Lord has cast him out from heaven. On the cross of Christ... The devil was bound, and now that Christ has been raised and Christ has ascended into heaven, the devil no longer even has a standing before the Lord. He's bound. His power has been stripped away. He has no power over you. That's the picture here. And as children like to ask me about this in confirmation class quite a bit, um, one of the illustrations I use with them, and you can feel free to use this. If you have a pair of handcuffs, you know, whether it's a toy pair or if you're a cop or something and have a real pair, give this a go. Um, a, a neat devotional picture here is to have your child do a task, whatever it is, you know, brush your teeth or, or build something with Legos or whatever it is. But then come back, handcuff them, hands behind their back, cuff them. And ask them to do it again. Can you brush your teeth without your hands? Can you build a Lego tower without your hands? I mean, can they still live? Yes, they are still alive. They can still function. But their power has been taken away from them in many ways. They are very limited in what they can do now. 
even though they still can enjoy life. And that's kind of a helpful picture to think of the devil being bound. It's not that the devil has been locked away in a cell somewhere and he has no influence whatsoever in the world. The devil is still at work. He's still fighting against creation. He's still wrathfully rebelling against God. But his power has been taken away. He's been made... Well... He's been made powerless. His threats are empty. So I think that's a helpful picture uh, that might be able to describe it. So he is not able to deceive the nations any longer. Uh, It's a picture that he can't stop the church. He can't stop the church from doing the mission that her groom has given her to do. And that can be a spot where you stop and ask your kids what that mission is. What mission did Jesus give to his church, to his bride? And that's to share the gospel to every nation, every people, every tribe. We've seen that kind of language here in Revelation already together. Then we get to verse 4, and we're going to see now the the reign of the church in this section. So the church has the authority to judge. That's an interesting picture, and it's one that we can't speak a whole lot to, but it's definitely a New Testament idea. You can read Matthew 19, 28, that says the disciples will be seated on thrones to judge the world. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, where Paul is, is mad at the church because they can't even judge the, the silly div, divisions among them. They can't even come to, to conclude right or wrong about what's going on in their church. And they're supposed to judge all of creation. So we see this theme. Uh, and we, we see it often, actually, really, in the New Testament when, we, when we're looking for it. John sees the martyrs, so those who have been beheaded for their testimony, and he sees those who were also killed because they did not wear the image of the beast. So again, martyrs. A, a martyr in Greek is the, the person who simply um, testifies or gives witness to something. But that word um, is, I mean, that's where the word comes from. Martyria is the Greek word for a witness or a testimony. And so we have brought that word into our language very helpfully uh, as one who has bore witness to Christ and been killed for it. Um, The the result of the church doing her mission is that the world attacks and the world kills. We've seen this. This was Revelation chapter 11, the two witnesses, which are the church, going about the business he has given them to do. And the world attacked, the world killed. But after a few days, verse 11, God gave her life again. The church was right back to doing what God had given the church to do. And so that's what we see here. God has raised his saints. And and the picture of this first resurrection is a reference to Ephesians 2, that you were dead in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. That the Lord has raised you to life here is a reference to your faith. God has created faith in you. He has given you the ability to live forevermore. And so there is a second resurrection then in that sense, which is the resurrection as we normally think of it. When Christ returns, he will raise us body and soul reunited again, and we get to live forever. But this first resurrection is that of life, of of the forgiveness that has been brought about in us because of faith uh, that the Holy Spirit has, has worked in our hearts. So this is the church. We are raised that we might reign. 
And we reign in creation right now through word and sacrament, sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing the gospel for all to hear. Uh, when you see second death in Revelation, it is a reference to hell. Uh, it only appears four times in the Bible, and all four of those are in Revelation. Uh, what, two of them in this chapter alone? We will not taste the second death. We won't taste hell, but instead we serve God in his paradise forever. Now, just as we saw in chapter 19, verses 19 and 20, where the battle is set and then it never happens, we see it again here in verses 7 through 10. The battle is set. Satan is released from his, his thousand years of bondage. And so this is a really a picture of the last days, the last day when Christ returns. Satan will, will be freed. He will gather up his army, but he's not been released for a battle. He thinks he has. He still thinks he's got a shot at this thing, but he's not been released for that purpose. He's been released from the, the prison that he may be finally judged. And so he gathers his army. They march against the saints and against the beloved city. We'll see that one tomorrow with the city of Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. They're done. Battle never happens. They don't even get the chance in that verse to besiege the holy city. They're just wiped out before they even get there. The devil is thrown into hell where he joins the first and the second beast who we saw thrown into hell yesterday uh, in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Revelation does not teach the idea of annihilation. Some Christians have come to believe that when a person is judged as a non-believer and so they're, they're, that they're not sent to hell, They've come to this idea that instead, God's punishment for them is that they cease to exist. And they've got a couple of Bible verses they'll pull out that, that sound pretty supportive of that idea. But in the fullness of scripture, uh, there's just way too much of this picture of hell that we, can, we just can't ignore it. I mean, it's simply what it is. They are going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. The, the lake of the fire and sulfur the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's there, it exists. And unfortunately, it is not It is not good. But God has created this place, not because he wants to put people there, but he's put this together for those who reject him, who rebel against him. He ultimately, as Romans 1 says, he gives them over to the desires of their sinful hearts. They wanted to be separated from him. And with sorrow, he grants them that request. God does not force us to believe. He doesn't force us to enter his paradise, to take the invitation to the wedding feast. Verses 11 through 15, the books are opened before the throne. Um, this is a picture basically of everything you've done in your life. We are all told in scripture that we must give an account of ourselves and what we've done. Um, and so here it is. Your book is opened and read before the Lord. Your account is given. And if you have not been faithful, if you have rejected God, then your book is opened as we see, where is that? Uh, verse 12, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So for those who do not have faith in Christ, they are judged by what is in their book. But for those 
who have faith in Christ, they are judged by Christ. Notice it doesn't say that they are judged by what is written in their books. They are judged by the book of life and if their name is in it. So the non-believer is judged by what's in his book. The Christian is judged by what's in the book of life. That's the distinction that comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire, on the lake of fire. So you have verses, well, 1 through 3, the binding of the devil, 4 through 6, the reign of the church, uh, through word and sacrament, right here in this present time. And then 7 through 10, the final battle, the last day when Christ returns, and 11 through, and in that day, sorry, uh, the devil is cast into hell along with the first and second beast. Then verses 11 through 15, all people are judged. Those who believe in Christ get to go to paradise with him. And those who didn't join the devil and the first and second beast in the fiery lake of hell. So again, that's the Lutheran perspective on this thousand year reign that we are with God even now. We are reigning in Christ even now. Uh, that this thousand years is not a time that is yet to come, but we're in the midst of it, and that Christ could return, bringing about the last day, ushering in paradise, tomorrow's chapter. He could do that at any moment. We will rejoice when we see Christ return.